RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log Live is brought to you by Eagle Moss Hero Collector and their collection of exclusive Star Trek visual reference books and other great titles and gifts waiting for you at herocollector.com slash books. Use promo code MISSION10 at checkout for 10% off all books and graphic novels. Did you know that the C in Norman C. Lau stands for Carl? Am I a guardian of forever? Well, as you know, appearances can be deceiving, but one thing you can count on, well, at least for now, it, it's 7 p.m. on the West Coast, and that means it's time for Mission Log Live. I am Norman Carl Lau. And I'm Holly Hamis, and I don't have any cool names that go with the episode. Tonight, we're discussing Terra Firma Part 2, this time with even more and firmer Terra. We know that all of you out there are excited to discuss how this episode wrapped up, and so are we. Let us know how you felt about this episode and the fate of Emperor Philippa Giorgio. I can't say, I can't, how many names does she title? I can't. Billion. Yeah. We'll just leave it at Philip Lutter show. <laughs> Click on the Zoom meeting link or use the one tap from your smartphone or call us at 669-900-6833. In any case, make sure you enter the meeting code and password and the guardian of Zoom, known as Earl, will open a portal for you. Well done, Holly. Well done. And let's, let's have a little bit fun here. So we're going to say emperor and I'm going to read as many names as possible from our from our listeners here in the comments, and it's going to be Emperor Giorgio's new name. So we have Emperor Dan, Miles, Jim, Carlos, Chris. Let's see. Dave, Chuck, Paul, Alan, Paul, 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 Dave, Paul, 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 Brian, <laughs> uh, Philippa Giorgio. So there you go. There's her epic name of epicness. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Hey, Alan, how you doing? Tate, how are you? Uh, Jane's here. Rick's here. Greetings and salutations to you as well. I do believe we have three Pauls, which makes me so very happy. That is a Paul Fecta, which means that this episode is a true and bona fide success. Now, coming up uh, this week on Mission Log, uh, we have on Thursday, Blaze of Glory. Now, I am sad to say that this version of Blaze of Glory is not a music video, nor does it star anyone named John Bon Jovi. I am very sad to say. However, it is the wrap-up of Mr. Michael Eddington and his time with the Maquis on Deep Space Nine. Also, uh, coming up next week on Mission Log Live, John is back, and so is Holly, to discuss Star Trek Discovery. Now, remember, folks, it was previously titled The Citadel, but it was just recently changed to Sukal. So just make sure that you have your... uh, your, eyes fixated on the new title so that it doesn't pass you by. Yeah. And speaking of, I don't know. I have no sequitur to that. It's a non sequitur. (laughs) The Citadel outlets here in Los Angeles. That's probably, they should not be open and they are. And I was like, Oh, they changed the name from the Citadel. I like to believe it's because the Citadel outlets here in LA are still open and they shouldn't be. And I judge them. (laughs) <laughs> well, well, they have. There's a lot of weighing and measuring and judging, both in how you feel about the Citadel and in this episode. So, you know, that's uh, the, the fate of Emperor Giorgio and the fate of the Citadel now rests in your hands, Holly. 
get guardian of uh, our mission log live show right well, now let's talk about carl and what people thought he was we asked that question last week in the poll what is carl 184 votes 26 of you thought that he was going to be a q uh 32 percent mm. thought that he was going to be the guardian forever uh two percent thought that he was going to be a prophet uh and 40% of you, the winner, 40% thought that he was some alien named Carl. That is awesome. So awesome. I'm, I'm glad that it was just, yeah, I hope it's just some weird random alien on this planet named Carl who's kind of cool and does cool stuff, right? I mean, it was pretty obvious to me that, that it was the Guardian. That there, there, He couldn't have been anything else with that newspaper, right? I, like. I, I was thinking now it just popped into my head that whole like what is love but now just add what is Carl what is Carl baby don't hurt me and, and everyone start to do that head dance like dun, dun 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 sorry guys I don't know why I'm just in that kind of festive spirit mischievous you know as Carls are most of the time me being a Carl so what uh, we got going on this week for the poll Holly this week we're asking uh, a very important question and this is because of Jet Reno. Mm-hmm. Is black licorice good? So far, we have 64 votes. 25% of you say yes. Yes, it is. It's delightful. And 75% of you say no, that it's not good. And you're wrong. I am so sorry. I am in that 75%. I don't know what it is. It's just not my thing. I, this, okay? is, this is exactly why I asked, because I knew that I love black licorice, and so does my dad, and I knew that you not liking black licorice was absolutely going to be the case and that we could butt heads about it. And Maybe. there's going to be, if we watch the chat, there's going to be people in there. They're like, <laughs> I tell you what, Holly, I tell you what you'd let me know. Like what, if I had to take a shot at enjoying black licorice, because I do love enjoying all different types of Epicurean things. Let me know what I should get, what I should taste, and what I should be tasting for, and maybe I'll change my mind. You should get either New Zealand or Australian black licorice because it's softer, mm-hmm. um, and it's not as pungent, hmm. but it's still tasty. Um, but I mean, black licorice has a very specific flavor. <laughs> it sounds like it's very polarizing. It's, it is. It's sort of like cilantro. I kind of think that there might be like, like they found a gene or whatever that like, if, if you think cilantro tastes like soap, you have a gene that makes it taste that way. I think cilantro is great. So I didn't get that gene, but I feel like black licorice is one of those types of foods that so it's very see. polarizing. Let's see what the, uh, the comments are here about black licorice. So we have Paul says, <laughs> you know, uh, Tate says in small doses, maybe Paul says the other Paul says your taste buds are broken me or Holly, uh, Chris Riker, ick, uh, miles says, is jet Reno, the new chief engineer? I'm thinking, yes. Uh, Rhonda says, nope, no, no. Carlos says black licorice. Mm, mm, yes. I'm mm, good. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Uh, let's see. Chris Riker says jet Reno is on drugs, but what about black licorice? Uh, or are they mutually exclusive? Uh, well, wait, wait. Paul, Paul, Wright, Paul Wright says it tastes like death and sadness. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's a very specific flavor profile. So I, this is exactly why I asked this because I, this is death hilarious. and sadness. <laughs> That's like there's, a, there's an episode of Friends where Phoebe makes, or Monica makes Phoebe taste this like weird, like, uh, food substitute for something and then Phoebe spits it out. It's like, that must, that's what evil must taste like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was mocklet. Yeah, it was, it was like hot chocolate, fake hot chocolate. It was called mocklet. 
uh, followed yes. by fishstachios. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember uh, that episode. I'm in for black licorice, even the jelly beans. Good for you, Chuck. All right. Good, good on you, Chuck. Good on Chuck you, and Chuck. I are friends. There you go. There you go. Well, I will give it a shot. I'll take a look for it. Um, let's see. We have, a, we have a friend. Uh, one of our Pauls is from New Zealand. He is a host of the Half Measures podcast. So see if you can uh, hook me up with some tasty black licorice all the way down from Kiwi land. So um, we have a lot to get through uh, on this episode. And I know that there are a lot of feelings about what people have to say. So I'm going to jump into the recap real quick. And let's see what is going on with Terra Firma Part do the remix of part one not necessarily but here we go picking up almost immediately where we left off in terra firma part one michael burnham is being dragged kicking and screaming into the brig where she awaits her fate at the hands of a far more lenient yet still ruthlessly effective philippa Giorgio, who wants michael broken a better example and a warning to all those who have plotted against their emperor and to keep up the ruse so that she doesn't lose face with the ever-scheming and plotting Terrans, Philippa employs the all-too-effective interrogation skills of one Captain Killy, who is always at the ready to serve faithfully and taking a bit too much pleasure in the process. Burnham eventually succumbs to not only the relentless torture from the agonizer booth, but from the ever-present care from Philippa, who tries at every turn, even with a bowl of fireflies, to make Michael remember what they mean to each other. However, no matter how much Michael impresses Philippa with her acts of loyalty and devotion, including an oppressive routing of all those who conspired with Gabriel Lorca and Burnham to move against the emperor, all Burnham was doing was biding time to execute her final endgame against Philippa. And finally, in the brig, Philippa Giorgio sealed her fate as she plunged her sword into Michael Burnham, knowing all the while that no matter how hard she tried to change the cruelty of the Terran universe, her efforts ultimately would fail in a time where such weaknesses were crushed under the weight of the empire, the empire that Philippa created. However, Michael was able to land a killing blow against her mother, and as Philippa slowly slipped away while in the arms of the slave version of Saru, she suddenly came to back on the snowy plains of Dennis V, and face-to-face -face with Michael, but more importantly, Carl, who reveals himself as the guardian of forever, a temporal being and portal that has hidden himself from the universe, so his powers would no longer be abused as they were in the temporal wars of the past. But he offers Philippa a way forward, into the past, to a new life, with new purpose. And after she disappears, back on Discovery, the crew and Michael remember the life, the spirit, and the indomitable will of Philippa Georgiou and how she shaped the lives and destinies of all those who crossed not only her temper, but her path through time and space. Meanwhile on Discovery, Stamets, Adira, and Book pool together their talents and resources and find an unorthodox way of using emerald chain signal boosting technology to locate and lock onto the Kelpian ship that lies at the center of the mystery of the burn, a mystery that now has a location and coordinates for discovery to, well, discover. The end. Oh, thank clap. you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
So yeah, that was uh, a very short synopsis of something that was a very complex episode with a lot going on and a kind of like a tone and a pace that was, I think, a lot different than Terra Firma Part 1, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was, we were discussing last week um, how John and I and some viewers agreed with us that we were a little bit disappointed that we were spending so much time in the mirror universe. And um, I don't, I kind of don't feel that way. I, I think that this episode did a pretty good job of changing um, the perspective of the viewer simply because of Philippa's story arc, mm-hmm. because the, it, it becomes even more blatantly clear in this episode that she's changed as a person. And that was literally what she was being weighed for to see if she would make different decisions. Um, And I think that that was uh, a really interesting message. Um, So I'm, I'm, I'm not disappointed that we spent some more time in the mirror universe. You know, the interesting thing about uh, her going back into the mirror universe after spending so much time, say, on board Discovery with Discovery's crew and either by osmosis or just by the sheer nature of being in such proximity of all of these different, say, higher morally based characters that in some way that would change her as well, especially what happened with Saru, Mm -hmm. because she, in a way, was root beard, you know, to use the Deep Space Nine terminology, you know, the, <laughs> the, the Federation, you know, was the, the bubbliness and the, the cloying sweetness of the Federation just kind of infiltrated her almost kind of like at that very subconscious level where certain things did check her morality at times. And yeah. of course, you know, all of her disciples, especially Michael, would notice any change in that behavior. And who knows what Philippa could have done with the Empire if she were able to move forward with this. I wouldn't say that she was a fully changed Terran, but no. a more well-tempered Terran. Right. I and I, I think that that becomes blindingly apparent when she sits down next to Michael, who is either asleep or is pretending to be asleep and gives her the bowl of fireflies. Cause I was like, there's no way that, the original version of Emperor Giorgio would have done anything like that. Like just, and not, yeah. And, and not no even way. in public if somebody, cause someone could have walked into the break at any time and said like, what are you doing? She's like, Oh, I thought these were nutritious. You know, it's just like one of those things where it would be at a private moment in her private quarters mm-hmm. doing something privately between the two of them. But um, let's, uh, let's put a pin in this and let's get to our first caller to see uh, what uh, Chris has to say uh, with his very festive, Santa hat. So, hey, Chris, how you doing? And thanks for calling in. Uh, good to see you, my friend. Yeah, good to see both of you. I got my Santa hat. It's kind of hard to see because of the background, but uh, it's green and it has the Oregon O logo on it, um, which is, I'm an Oregon <laughs> alum, so I got that. Oregon Ducks? Yes, go Ducks. Oh, I have friends that are, that are alums, too. Oh, there we go. Yeah, um, doing good. Today is actually my birthday. So this, this is mm. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but no, yeah, I I like this episode. I, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, um, I think it's interesting. Well, I don't necessarily disagree with where Giorgio ended up at the end. Like I buy that sort of moral turn. I feel like it might have been. It feels at least to me like a little rushed. Like she was for most of the two seasons that we've had her. She kind of just existed as like the sassy mean girl character, which 
Michelle Yeoh does wonderfully, and I like that. But I feel like we sort of, like, it was just, and we're going to drop you into the mirror universe, and we're going to get all of the sort of moral turnaround. And again, I, I buy that Georgia would have changed that much, but I would have liked to see, like, maybe a couple nuggets of that uh, before we got to Terraformer Parts 1 and 2. But I liked how we ended up. Uh, big fan of Carl, big fan of that whole end sequence after she comes back. All of that was really good. But yeah, just maybe a little rushed for me, but doesn't detract from the, the end game of it. Well, I feel like, interestingly enough, that, you know, her being Mirror Georgiou being in the Prime Universe, she still put up this front. Because it wasn't a secret that she was from the Mirror Universe. Like, everybody knew that this is not the original Georgiou. The original Georgiou is gone. She died. Um, this Georgiou, I feel like, put up a crazy front and overcompensated because she was surrounded by people who were like morally good. I mean, even the, the last sequence that we see with her and Tilly in the first episode, she feels overtly mean in it. And it's, I know it was because she was scared. Um, but it also feels like she just does not want to admit that she has any sort of vulnerability. Whereas when she's around people that are from the Terran empire and people that grew up in the mirror universe, and that's all they know, um, it gives her a little bit of freedom to not have such a front up in terms of being what, how you put it, a mean girl, because I, I just, I, I think that the, the prime universe made her softer, but she was afraid to show it. And then she got yeah. into the mirror universe and she was like, actually, this is terrible. And I'm going to take it down a notch. Mm-hmm. I think that that's it's an interesting perspective. Uh, it made her a well-rounded character, I think, or at least uh, took a more well-rounded approach to how she would govern from that point on. Because there was there was a point where, you know, uh, being, um, you know, uh, taking the Charon and going to that new, it's like super fortress ship and, you know, reigning supreme from, you know, that position with this new understanding of how she can kind of create a, uh, say, a more well-rounded, more well-tempered Terran Empire may have proved worthy, may have proved successful. We never really would know, you know, because, you know, she didn't have the chance to prove that. But what I liked about um, what you said there, Holly, is that every single response, even though it was kind of overcompensating, you know it was because she doesn't want to be hurt again. Mm-hmm. You know, she was hurt so deeply when Michael betrayed her because she allowed Michael to become part of her her own emotional being her emotional state she was part of her she was a part of her her heart and that betrayal was deep and there's only one way to protect yourself from that kind of emotional you know uh emotional vulnerability and that is to cut off all of your emotions and keep Mm -hmm. people at a distance because then if you're disappointed you know it's coming and if you're betrayed then you know how to prepare for it and as much as you can tell that she was really enjoying the company of some of her discovery comrades, she can't afford that kind of weakness anymore because it already cost her too much already once. So yeah. and we, got a, we got a better chance of seeing that with the events that unfolded with Burnham, you know, uh, through the Guardian's portal in that time frame. You saw like how badly she uh, or how desperately she wanted Michael to be part of her life and how badly she was betrayed. And I thought that was beautiful. Uh, I uh, she's she's had some really great lines in the last two episodes as well, 
there's a, a line in this where she said, even the darkest night will end and the sun will rise. That's from Les Miserables. Mm-hmm. And I'm very excited yeah. that it was in it. Just super jazzed that they yeah. used something from Les Mis as a, as a big fan of Les Mis. But uh, I, I mean, and most of her good lines were in the last two episodes have been kind of like under her breath. It feels like she doesn't want anybody to really see the level of movement she's made in terms of her, you know, her inner self. Um, yeah. Some great lines. <laughs> oh yeah, and that, that under the breath thing that tracks with what you guys are saying about the sort of front, which I also, I did pick up on that, I think for a while, but yeah, that, that I, I, I buy that. I dig that, that she's sort of not compartmentalizing, but like hiding away sort of this part of herself that she feels is not productive or has hurt her before. And we also know, we kind of know whatever was going on with her brother or wh- whoever got stabbed in the flashbacks that we never got revealed when I assume will get revealed in the spinoff show, like obviously she's been hurt before. Son, yeah. yeah. Obviously she's been hurt before and she's experienced pain. And I think like her response to that is to just sort of shut down. Um, and to be fair, the Guardian said that she's going to experience more pain, heartache. And he said, but that's, you know, that's life. Um, so she's, she's aware that like, there's going to be, she's, she's not going to, it's not smooth sailing. I, I mean, we don't know where she went in, in time we have no idea where she went but uh you know her life's not going to be smooth sailing but at least she's i i don't think that he sent her back to a terran empire in which you're always running away from people that are trying to kill you <laughs> yeah Just, i like the way they set that up because uh the carl said that she he sent her back at a time where the prime and terran universes were closer Closer, yeah. yeah. Their overlap was closer, so yeah, because they're they're see. growing, they're growing apart. So I mean, I I think that that is, you know, fingers crossed that Section Thirty One actually happens. Um, with you know COVID and things not being in production, it might be later than we um, had originally planned. But uh, it's a great setup because when she walked through, I was like, oh, they can't show where she's going to go because you they have to it's like a hook like Mm -hmm. you have to wonder where she went and that has to be one of the reasons why you watch the new show right genius on on the writer's part so yes and it's very well possible like the opening of whatever show that is might start off with her walking through the guardian yeah on the other speaking of openings chris what did you think of the opening sequence oh the the photoshop inverted that was cute i like that yeah that was fun that was Uh, whenever uh, you play around with an opening i i dig it yeah yeah the mirror i mean i i mean obviously they didn't do that for the first episode because we didn't know i mean i you can the the title of the episode kind of gives it away i was like terraformer we're going to the mirror universe but Mm -hmm. uh you know it wasn't fully stated so that intro was normal. And when this intro came on, I was like, Oh, they're, they're pulling an enterprise where the intro is different. This is awesome. Yeah. I think, uh, I think they did a good job. That was really interesting. Yeah. All right, Chris, we have time for about one more point. If you'd like to talk about uh, the, the episode for just a little bit longer, and then we can get on to our next caller. Yeah. Um, I will say, I'm sure this has been said before, but it's worth saying again, Carl is wonderful. I love the guy who plays Carl. Even before I knew he was the guardian, just the idea of this old affable guy just vibing out in the tundra. He's like, oh, you're cool. 
I dig you. And the fact that he's the guardian, I like that. I, I'm also a little sad because we probably won't see him a lot again because obviously he's out here hiding for a reason. But, right. you know, I would love to see him again. He may or may not be going on my cosplay list. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but no, this was a good episode. A good, I will say it's a good backdoor pilot for Section 31. It's yeah. a nice wrap up for Giorgio and her arc that we've had. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And yeah. Good, good backdoor time. pilot. That's a good way to put that. Um, but you, you mentioned your cosplay list. Uh, Giorgio's gold bathrobe in this episode is officially <laughs> on my list. That came on screen and I was like, Oh my, and I like, I live alone and like, we're all supposed to be like quarantining and stuff. So I like have nobody to talk to. I'm like, are, are you guys seeing this? That robe was magnificent. And I, I want to make it. That's a lot of gold going on in the Terran. There is a lot of gold. And you know, all the, all the, the mirror universe outfits with the leather and like the breastplates and like, it's all very medieval. It's all, it's all I'm, I'm not even like the gold never really struck me for some reason. And I was thinking about that when I was essentially falling in love with her bathrobe is I was like, she has that, that crazy coat with the big neck and that's all gold. And like all of their armor is gold. And like, why didn't I get turned on with that? No, it's the bathrobe. I want that. I personally got turned on with the, uh, the black and red armor, like, like, um, Culber was wearing. That oh yeah, the medical. Or, yeah, so cool. <laughs> yeah, that was I'm sure that's the... going to get cosplayed a lot too. It was gorge, as they say <laughs> in the biz. It was gorge. No, nope. anywho, um, Chris, it was good seeing you, my friend, and um, happy holidays to you, your family. Um, I hope happy you birthday safe. and happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah, happy holidays to all you guys as well. All right, take care, my friend. Good seeing you. All right, see ya. All right, before we get to our next caller, let's uh, take a check-in here with our sponsor, Eagle Moss, Hero Collector, and let's talk about what's going on with the Star Trek bookshop. So a lot of the listeners that come back week to week to week have probably heard this, but if you are here for the first time, we would like to tell you about the various collections of model starships that the Star Trek universe has been represented by by Eagle Moss Hero Collector, Now, you may be familiar with those because they have been out for a much longer time than these books. But now these books from Eagle Moss Hero Collector are out, and they are fantastic. They are expertly researched and developed by Eagle Moss Hero Collector, expert and Star Trek detail maestro extraordinaire, Ben (laughs) Robinson. I'm trying to give him like the Philippa Giorgio title, right? Yeah, Ben is is a walking encyclopedia of Star Trek. So. And these and these books are the uh, you know they are the the walking talking library I think of his mind on paper because they're so fantastic they're so detailed they're let's see let's see they are um, representations of a lot of what you can see in the uh, individual um, magazines from the ships and yeah. these are all bound and collected into these fantastic hardbound books. Uh, such as the Star Trek Shipyards books. And they're like a timeline of almost every ship that's appeared in the Star Trek TV show series and all the movies from the original series to Discovery and all the way back to Enterprise. And some of these volumes are dedicated exclusively just to Starfleet ships. Some focus on ships of uh, other members of the Federation, like the Vulcans and the Andorians and Tellarites and, and Bajorans. Yeah, I think books, I'm reading your copy, Holly. You, so you are sorry. reading my copy. It's fine. I was letting you go. Uh, books <laughs> in the designing starships boldly go where few have gone before. Deep behind the scenes into the conception, development, and detail of ships from every era. 
there's even volumes from the comprehensive official Star Trek graphic novel collection. I'm so sorry. And you know why? I'm going to give people <laughs> a little bit of inside baseball. Because when John and I do the show, his notes are black. My notes are purple. So no, no, when- it's fine. Because I've been reading that week after week. I was letting you run with it. <laughs> sorry about that. But the information <laughs> is still just as good. So there's something for everybody here. For every Star Trek fan of every generation. Plus, especially for friends of Mission Log Live, use code MISSION10 at checkout and receive 10% off all books and graphic novels. Browse around their shop. Visit HeroCollector.com slash books and use promo code MISSION10 at checkout for your 10% discount. And now that that's over with, and mm. sorry, Holly, for taking, uh, usurping your copy. <laughs> I'm fine. Let's get on to our next caller, and we have David. David, how are you? And thanks for calling in. Hi, how are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Good, thanks. Good what thanks. is your background? Where are you? I'm on the Motion Picture Enterprise Bridge. You are mm-hmm. on the mo- That's what I thought. Yeah. Good for you. There's this guy on the Drake BBS that, uh, that makes these, these really awesome images. Like He's modeled a lot of that ship in 3D. And I love that. Awesome, a bunch of this stuff on his Flickr album. Very cool. Great. Awesome. Very classic. Yeah. So how'd you so feel about you- this episode there, David? Well, uh, you know, again, within your universe. Uh, <laughs> You know, I feel like maybe I'm in the minority. I don't know, but I feel like the, that the mirror universe is a lot like Jurassic Park. Um, one is great, and mm-hmm. and then after that, it's just it's just unnecessary. Mm. <laughs> just okay. you know, um, 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 these nine did it. I think maybe a little bit more interestingly because you met kind of like the people in the Terran Resistance who were kind of good guys, but mm. also kind of ambiguous, like Cassian and or Rogue One. You know, um, but with this, it's just everybody's evil and backstabbing all the time. And that's just, it's just kind of one note. And I know the actors have fun playing it. I think the writers have fun writing it, but it's just kind of the same thing. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I think that Sonequa Martin-Green, like halfway through the episode, I was like, she's acting her butt off. Like she's doing a really great job. But I mean, I do see your point. And we, we, you know, discussed that um, in the last episode is that we were like, uh, I mean, it's great. And I, I had said, you know, the mirror universe, when they created it for Mirror Mirror, it's a great allegory. Right. And, and I thought that's a great allegory for a one-off, but for us to continue to go back there, it's a good launching pad for things. Um, great way to bring back characters from the dead. <laughs> um, Landry, but yeah, yay. I mean, it gets a little bit, it gets a little bit wearing to just consistently see people killing each other. And I think the only reason why, I wasn't, again, terribly upset that we were still in the mirror universe in this episode is because we started to see uh, an interesting arc in Giorgio, so. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think the issue with the mirror universe, and I think that, you know, the, um, the original series did set off a tone uh, that was, I think, too it strictly adhered to when it comes to the barbarism of the Terran Empire. You know, uh, you know Kirk said it famously where he said, I'm sorry, Spock said that uh, it's easier for barbarians uh, or humans to act as barbarians and then instead of barbari- barbarians to act like civilized men or something to that effect. And I, I actually was uh, texting John about this and I said, you know, John, I think the real problem here with uh, the, the mirror universe is that I think that the actors really struggle with trying to be this one note style of evil where it's just seething savagery and it doesn't really lend towards acting as a, as a, it lends more towards kind of like a caricature of evil right? You know, these people, you know, these actors, they really can't, like, if you want to, like, have, like, a really 
you know, um, uh, calculating evil type of, you know, archetype, you're looking at your Hannibal Lecters, you know, of these kind of fandoms, you know, where someone's a little bit more methodical and scheming and not so uh, teeth grinding and gnashing and screaming, well, it, you know? It's the argument of, of evil for the sake of evil. And I feel the same way about some Disney villains. I'm like, I want to know their motivation. Uh, I think we, we understood Giorgio's motivation. We understood Michael Burnham's motivation. What, what I kind of wanted to know and felt was missing is is what were the other characters motivation for joining Burnham and wanting to overthrow Philippa because mm. you know mm-hmm. she says that she killed everybody and then suddenly we find out that she was lying and even more people were in on the conspiracy to overthrow her and I'm like what is their motivation like why are they suddenly loyal to Burnham Right. Um, and that's something that, you know, we don't, we don't get to see, but I, and it makes it feel like they're evil just for the sake of being evil, which is tiresome. Yeah. It doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't stretch. And I think that, I think the most complex, or maybe the second most complex character in the mirror universe was uh, the intendant, Norris, mm-hmm. Kira Norris, because yeah. she didn't really play it being, again, that's. Uh, caricature of evil you know there was a lot of subtlety to what she did and in a a, strange amount of empathy the way that she treated you know her subjects but the way that they portrayed spock in the mirror universe is that he was so calculating right and he was so reserved and withdrawn because he wanted to observe and he wanted to make sure that he was 10 steps ahead of everybody else because he knew that violence for violence sake was one way of approaching being able to protect yourself but being able to use intelligence as your weapon and use uh, forbearance as your weapon was a far better strategy in the long run. So be, having these people just kind of like start, you know, pit fighting, you know, in the, uh, in the decks just seemed a little, maybe too over the top. And we killed Landry again. Oh well, yeah. Again. That poor girl. She dies all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> you so I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I get, I get where you're coming from, David. Um, and perhaps maybe they, they wanted to get this two part out of the way to to kind of like, you know, put a capstone on the mirror universe for a while and see where give Giorgio like uh, this kind of like a fresh start moving forward with both a, a Terran and prime universe balance to her character as she goes into section 31 because she can't be ruthless all the time because that's just uh, ineffective from um, from kind of like covert operation standpoint. It's, it's kind of like the enemy within, right? You have to have both sides of the equation. Yeah. You have to have the ruthlessness and you have to have the compassion to be able to do and weigh and measure what you need to do in order to get your job done effectively. Um, so she can't just be torturous all the time. She has to understand and, and empathize with why she's doing it. So I think that's probably like where they're maybe going with this. I don't know, but I'm kind of glad that we may be putting that to the side for a while because I too am not the greatest fan of the mirror universe content in general. I understand it as a tradition in Star Trek, but I think that, I think that personally we, we've lost some time in a fantastic story that's been being built in discovery about the burn. And yeah, I want to get into that nebula, man. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's very little, Um, new information in this episode in regards to them trying to figure out where the burn originated. I mean, we know that we located the ship and that's, I mean, that was like a a B storyline. And I was like, nope, that's what the whole episode, that's what the whole series is doing right now. 
I want to, I mean, and I know that they needed a, they needed a send off and they needed a launching pad for Giorgio, but I'm also just, I really, I want to get into that Nebula guys. Where'd the burn so, come from? So David, with your background, um, I'm, I'm uh, taking a huge leap of faith in saying that you're probably an original series fan or leaning that way. Yeah, that was my first diff. Yeah. So how did you feel about the guardian? That I really liked, you know, okay, good, um, good. You know, we have, you know, um, of course, we've only ever seen The Guardian one other time in live action, but it's, but it showed up tons of times in novels and comics and, you know, uh, and um, different fan works. You know, I love the, uh, the film that um, James Cauley's group did, you know, where there was a big giant Guardian they, they flew, that they flew the Enterprise through that was cool. Um, but in all of those incarnations, it's always been a giant stone donut that sounds like Bart Lurie. <laughs> So it yeah. was so cool to see them, you know, kind of, kind of go outside the box and say, no, that's not all the guardian is. It can be something else too. He can be personified. And, yeah. yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people, when we asked last week, like what I, it was very obvious to me, but, but based yeah. on really deep cut Easter eggs that it was the guardian of forever. But I think a lot of people couldn't see him being the guardian of forever because he was suddenly personified. And like, we've only ever seen, well, like you said, a giant stone donut talking to people. I, that the, the reveal, I thought, was great. And I knew that there was going to be a huge divide of people that thought that that wasn't original for them to be using that again. Um, but then there was going to be a lot of people, myself included, that really enjoy callbacks like that. And the reveal was fantastic. I was screaming. <laughs> I, was I mean, I thought it was in a very my apartment f- yelling. It's a super fresh approach. And, you know, you can also see you know, if you're a fan of Doctor Who, you can also see how, how Carl is kind of like a TARDIS, you know, he takes different shapes for different reasons. And uh, there's an episode with David Tennant, I believe, no, Matt Smith, the doctor's wife, where the soul of the TARDIS, you know, became personified as, you know, as a being, much like Carl took the personification of a being as instead of being the guardian, the the stone donut. So, you know, I'm not saying that it was lifted. I'm just saying that a being of such ancient intelligence is more than just a construct, right? It it's, has a, a far greater ability um, beyond our capacity to understand. Or Spock's, since he loves trolling Spock, you know, it's like, <laughs> or in the original episode, you know, it's just yeah. like, I'm beyond your understanding. Really? <laughs> okay. Carl, so, had, Carl also had some great lines in this. I know I already talked about Philippa's great lines, but personifying him gave gave him the ability to have some really poignant lines. My favorite line of his is, and he sort of says it in passing, like right before the reveal happens. So it kind of gets lost, but he says, you can't just live in doorways. Yeah. And I thought that was such a great line. And I mean, the reveal happens right after that. And I think everybody's, you know, zones in on that, but I'm like that, that, that line was great though. Are we forgetting that? Are we ignoring that? Um, I love kind I of like, like the, the lovable, huggable uncle look of him too, right? Yeah. You know, he was so non-threatening. But at the same time, though, he was irascible, I think is the word, maybe irritating just because he's not answering. He, it's an interesting thing that the guardian of forever personified in this human body, understanding of a human body, never answered anything linearly, right? He always yeah. answered things in a very temporal kind of timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly kind well, of Well, I, I mean, so did so – did- I mean, the Guardian Forever has always done that. Oh, like, yeah. That, even when it wasn't a personified version of it. That was, True enough. That's, yeah. um, I, did anybody else get some inner, inner, light, or inner light vibes when 
Giorgio comes back, comes to, like, she wakes up, um, having been gone for, from her perspective, she was gone for, like, she says months, and it turns out it was three months, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, Burnham is, like, that's impossible, you, she was unconscious for less than a minute, and I was, like, oh, that's, like, the inner light, did anybody else make that connection? Yeah, well, Yes, and, and um, you know, in, in, a, in a grander, like, kind of, uh, as a grander uh, fan of, of, like, you know, temporal mechanics and in all different types Yeah, and that's of, what I'm saying, uh, like, the, te- that, the use of temporal mechanics was the same way, like, the inner light knocks out Picard, and he's mm-hmm. unconscious for, like, 25 seconds, but he's lived this whole life. It's right. such an interesting um, concept and, uh, of, of temporal mechanics, and I, I just, you know, the inner light is one of the best episodes of of the next generation. And I just think that it's interesting that they were, that they sort of use the same concept of, of temporal mechanics where she wasn't, she wasn't knocked out or unconscious for very long, but she was gone for three months. Yeah. And I think what's nice about that is that it gives her uh, the, it gave her a glimpse of, of what could be instead of just like, you know, Oh, uh, I was only there for like 24 hours or 48 hours. No, I was there for you know, a significant period of time where I was able to see things develop, where I was able to see Burnham for, you know, who she really is, what she was really doing. And, you know, in a flash, it's kind of like, um, you know, the, the old adage, I've seen my life, you know, flash before my eyes, you know, you see an yeah. entire lifetime in the blink of an eye. And I think that that's what she was kind of, they were trying to get at here is like, they were saying, okay, if you had the opportunity to do it again, and, and, and not in a it's a wonderful life kind of way, not in a Frank Capra kind of way, but in this whole, you know, temporal mechanics, science fiction kind of way, what would you do differently? It's like, um, what would be the butterfly effect uh, and the change and the causality of that change, you know, down the line? And it was trying to, she was trying to, for it to be Burnham, like, I need to make yeah. her better. You know, I need to make our relationship stronger so that she can succeed me and make a better empire based on what I understand and, 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 and my, uh, the way that I've changed thanks to the crew of the discovery. So there's, there's a lot of kind of this, uh, you know, this causality that's going on with these characters and she tried. And that's, that's what Carl was getting at. She tried sometimes, yeah. it doesn't work. sometimes time just keeps marching on the way it does. Yeah. There's people in chat. Uh, Ken Carpenter, who has called in before says it's like, uh, that the same concept happens in the movie contact, mm-hmm. which was written by Carl Sagan. You know, she falls through and she's experienced all of this and I, they're correcting me. It wasn't, it was not 25 seconds for Picard. It was actually a whole lifetime in 25 minutes, but it's still the same concept where he yeah. experienced a large amount of time and not very much time in comparison to us. But I think, you know what? I really enjoy that concept I'm finding because my favorite episode of star Trek of all time is actually a Voyager episode called blink of an eye where the planet is, is experiencing time differently than, than space. I think I just really enjoy that concept as um, a science fiction principle. <laughs> well, Dave, we have, a, we have a little bit of time left for like one more observation if you'd like to squeeze one in here before we get to our yeah. next caller. Yeah, yeah, just one really quick thing. Um, the idea of time or multiverse travel making you sick is actually um, not, in a, in a, and I'm sure someone else has pointed this out, it's not a new idea, actually. Back in um, the second to last original series episode, All Our Yesterdays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Remember, they had to, um, um, Spock and McCoy had to get back, um, um, uh, um, uh, as did Kirk, because if they stayed too long in the past, they would die. Yep. Because right. they weren't prepared. So that's yeah. pretty yeah. cool. I don't know if that's where they got it, but you know, I've heard people complain that, that that's not how time travel works in Star Trek. And, well, yeah, it has before. It, it has before. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. That was with Mr. Ataz, right? Yeah. All of our yesterdays. Yeah. And Marriott Hartley. 
Yeah, indeed. So yeah, good observation there. And you know, here's the thing with a lot of these science fiction ideas is that when they're presented in, in this format in science fiction, either on TV or on, in, in novels and stuff, they are great ideas. Uh, they are not formulaic and they certainly are not a template for how things must be done. You know, so there's going to be a, a certain amount of flexibility that people are going to take and try and expand upon these ideas because these ideas are good and they want to take them and run with them their own way. So, you know, with say like, you know, Harlan Ellison's idea of the guardian of forever. And now this new version of the guardian forever, it's, it's not so much how we adhere to the, the strictness of the canon of that character or that entity, but where do we go from here with that? Mm-hmm. What are the opportunities that we can have with a name, with a being that's basically as ancient as time itself and can manipulate time, right? The, the opportunities are really endless there. And if you don't take advantage of that, then what are we doing? Right? Yeah. But good. we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right, David. Thank you so, for calling in. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Uh, happy holidays. Please stay safe and uh, be good. Thanks Thank for calling. Too. All right. Hey, I know this guy that's coming up here. He's a, he's a wisecracking, pun rating kind of Alan kind of guy. What's happening, hey. Alan? What's up, everybody? How you doing? Somebody Norman just shot Holland? off. Somebody just shot off a firework in my neighborhood. Did you guys see me jump? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not used to that kind of an entrance. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Everybody is getting the Philippa Giorgio treatment tonight. Everybody's getting it. So. Fantastic. Absolutely oh, fantastic. By the way, uh, the, the two Dax's comment, uh, the, the meme that you wrote was oh. brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, dude. You know, that it, I, I've said it before. Sometimes it's like four hours to to come up with some of those things. That was like <laughs> pair of Dax. done. That's so funny. Dax or a pair of Dax. <laughs> well done. Yeah. So uh, where where did you land with this episode? Where did you land with? Um, was it more firma this time with you, or not as firma? Uh well, I I think. If I remember right, last time, last week I was saying that I was kind of waiting to see how everything wrapped up. I thought that it was mostly good. I think that I'm, I am ready to be done with Mirror Universe for a while. Um, if it's drifting out, getting further away from our Prime Universe, I think that's okay. I think this was overall a good way to end it. Um, I did have a couple of kind of, kind of big, uh, big topic type things. The first of which, and I'll ask you guys too. Um, I've seen a lot of people, you know, one of the big comments is where, you know, what happened to Lorca? It's like, yeah. they, they kept talking about him and talking about him for the past two episodes. And first of all, did you guys miss him? <clears throat> uh, and then, you know, I'll let you guys answer. And then I, I kind of have a theory about what might have happened, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get that after you guys, after we discuss that, I guess. <laughs> as, as a viewer and as a fan, I was really hoping to see Lorca. I think he's a fantastic character. What was revealed um, in this latter part of the storyline? especially as it relates to Burnham, it was important for him not to be there. You know, because Detmer comes in and is like, I don't think he's coming. Mm-hmm. She's 
horrified. Like this is a man who she, you know, in the, in the first episode of this, of uh, this two part story arc was saying that, you know, he honors me and he loves me and all this stuff. And then she finds out that like, he, he didn't come to her rescue. He, he didn't follow through on their plan. Like he's not there. I think it was important for him not to be there as much as I would have liked to have seen him. So that's, that's my stance on that. I thought he, I thought he already, um, he already, uh, phased into the prime universe at this time, like around this time, because like everything was happening at this particular crux of time. The, uh, the, the um, uh, the launching of the, uh, the ISS Charon, you know, her, um, you know, her celebration, what all these things were happening all at the same time. And I thought that that's when he blinked into the prime universe. Uh, I guess it was, wasn't it during some battle with the Baran? The brand. Yeah, it's when he was on the brand and he was trying to beam aboard. And I'm actually kind of looking it up right now because I want to see. But yeah, yeah, it's it's we did because we didn't see a lot of that. Like it's not ingrained in my brain. Right. Um, I don't think it's ingrained in a lot of people's brains. But yeah, when did he? But that happened like all around that same time because the the because the coup was supposed to happen with him involved and he was trying, he was using all of Paul Stamets's stuff in season one, like all of his coordinates and the sport technology and blah, 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 to get back to his time, to get back to that moment where the coup was happening and he was gone already. Yeah. And there. Yeah. This is, this is, <laughs> this is me doing temporal mechanics. That's, that's my, yeah, I mean the temporal, me- I mean at 2257 is, is when they swapped, but we don't know at what point and we don't know exactly when she goes back because like what we what we saw being played out the the potentially overthrowing Giorgio we just hear that talked about in the first season so we don't actually see it and you know I you know people have been like oh it's maybe it's like like three months before or whatever anyways the the timeline is is sort of sketchy so I'm not sure if Lorca was still there. I'd have to do research. <laughs> but yeah, I totally would have seen. I love, I mean, I love Jason Isaacs to death. I've loved him all the way back. This is the first time I saw him in uh, the first season of Highlander. If you haven't seen that episode, it's called Lady and the Tiger, season one. And the first appearance of both Amanda and Zachary Blaine, just saying. So, <laughs> and yeah. he's fantastic with a saber, by the way. He is a fantastic fencer. Yeah, I, I, I kind of... I kind of kind of bridge those those two opinions too. Like, yes, of course, as a as as fans, we want to see him. He's a good dude. He's a good character. Um, we uh, we went and actually saw him at a convention a couple years ago. Probably one of the the highlights of that show, and I was not expecting it because I was like, well, I guess we're gonna sit through the Jason Isaacs panel before whatever else was going to happen that day, but man, he's just a fun, energetic guy to listen to. And, you know, no, no, you know, question that, you know, the acting talent comes from there too. Um, But at the same time, yeah, it's not about Lorca. It's about, it's about the relationship between Philippa and, and and how, how they're responding. And yeah, the, the absence sort of uh, sort of shines through. I did have kind of a, a little theory that maybe they wrote the uh, shuttlecraft scene with his name. 
I, I keep thinking either Dum Dum Dugan or Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And I can't remember <laughs> which one it is. Oh, old school WWF. You get plus one from me, my friend. Hey, yeah. <laughs> but but I I was kind of I was kind of thinking that maybe they wrote that scene and that character is kind of like, well, on the you know, twenty-five percent chance that Jason is available, we have this part that we can just kind of stick him in and you know, he could be that guy in the shuttlecraft. Oh, but, so you uh, think you think that he was basically unavailable? I, I think it's possible. I mean it, it might have been a thing where they were like, well, maybe he could. I, you know, I don't know his schedule, so I can't tell, I can't, you know, predict where he's going. He's not like, you know, he's not like Cronenberg uh, and he just lives in Toronto. But, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's actually probably a good idea that he wasn't on there because I think yeah. Chris said this earlier in the chat that he would have stolen like every scene that he was in and he probably would have drawn too much attention away from the story mm. that they were trying to tell. Because yes, the 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 shadow of Lorca, trademark. That's because it's a great <laughs> name of the book. The shadow of Lorca in this two-parter is, you know, it's substantial, and you know, uh, because you know of what he did in season one, and that's you know that's that will that sheds a, a giant you know um, blanket of of his influence you know over what's happening here obviously in the mirror universe and this is kind of like an origin story in a way for a lot of these characters so if you see him he he'll just steal that time and the focus away from what they're trying to say here and as much as i again i would love to have seen him i think he just would have been too big right yeah too big of a presence yeah i I, yeah definitely sort of you don't want to take focus away from the relationship between Michael and Philippa, the the growth that Philippa shows, the sort of ultimate, you know, failure-ish, you know, I mean, there's the carrot and the stick, and she used a lot of stick to try to, <laughs> to, to try to win Michael over. I don't know if that was necessarily the best result, but, you know, you got to try, um, like Carl said. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and I just, I, and I do love that, you know, I think it says a lot about Star Trek and the values of Starfleet and the Federation and the show that they, yeah, they redeemed, let's just call her Space Caesar, you know, that's a little less inflammatory uh, than some of the other things that people could say, but it's definitely, you know, the Terran Empire has kind of a Romanesque vibe and, you know, that was one of her that was one of her titles, Daughter of Rome, right? Yeah. So, sure. Yeah, that's that's kind of, which I, I think sort of takes the a little bit of the edge off the just evil vibe that they have. They're just very militaristic and they're very sort of power hungry. And, you know, that's a type of evil, but it isn't just, you know, it isn't quite, at least not for me, it's not quite mustache twirly evil. Um yeah, and I think that's that's where I, th- I said this earlier that yeah. that's where the mirror universe really loses an opportunity is to actually craft characters that really understand the the depths and have the layers of political intrigue. Say uh, your characters like in Game of Thrones, you know, if you had uh, Burnham or Georgiou operate in the same type of uh, like political maneuvering the way that Cersei Lannister did, 
you know, or say Littlefinger did, you would have a lot more threat based in those plans that are being hatched. And you wouldn't trust what was coming around every corner. You can pretty much know that a fa- like in this universe, there's a dagger or a phaser that's going to be around every turn. So just have a bunch of bodyguards like stand mm-hmm. around you. But you don't know where that one, that poisoned word is going to change the destiny of like an entire empire. That's the kind of political intrigue that I missed, you know, in this mirror universe. Yeah, there was one aspect of, of one of the mirror characters that I thought was great. And that was mirror Saru, or, I mean, he's not actually named Saru, but uh, when he comes in during the fight sequence and he comes to essentially save the emperor who has been being nice to him for, you know, reasons unbeknownst to him. He, he did kind of catch on that. He's like, you're not a Terran, but when he comes in, that is the side of Zeru that we've not seen. him like just throwing okay. people against the yeah. ceiling. And I was like, I love Doug, man. He's doing such a good job. Guilty and rage. Talk about yeah. WWE. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was, I think that was kind of one of those on un- it was it was a little bit funny, but also really awesome and kick butt. Was seeing the Kelpians coming in with their like Doctor No gray Nehru jackets, toting space uh, AKs in the middle of that fight. That was awesome. Yeah, and all because Giorgio believed that they can get yeah. past that 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 period of madness. Yeah. Right, and look at what that was able to do for her. She was able to reap a certain amount of success, obviously for her plans as well. Sure. But um, I thought that, that in the scenes with, with, with uh, Michelle and with Doug, I thought were always like beautifully done because they, I think they just have this great chemistry together. There's something very natural between the two of them. Um, there's an ease between themselves when they're, when they're acting. And uh, it just, uh, and it's funny too, because he's essentially like a um a valet to her right yeah a, a, yeah. and a confidant because and sometimes you know like in, in some of these say like downton abbey ish like scenes you know the the lady in waiting or um the handmaiden or what do you want to call them they're always that one person that for some odd reason that uh the noble always confesses their deepest darkest secrets to <laughs> right? gotta have and your samwise Oh yeah, no. Oh on, yeah, Samwise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's typical. You know, that's that's kind of the I've read. I've I've seen it put that that's sort of the the relationship that uh, Tolkien was going for with that relationship was the Lord and the Lord and the Footman kind of a thing. Yeah, sure enough. Yeah, he was his Footman. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. So I guess the other the other thing that I wanted to to get you guys to, you know, check your temperature on. I, I liked, like I said, I liked the redemption for Giorgio, but I felt that the show kind of laid it on a little bit thick with the conference room scene and the goodbye between Michael and Philippa. There was one line in particular that kind of stuck out at me and I was like, mm, nope. Nope, I don't. I don't think I agree with that. And that's the "You are my Philippa." Hmm. And I was like, "No, no, Michael, she's really not." And I know that the show itself kind of had Michelle 
you know, demure and be like, oh, oh, no, no. But they gave her that line and they made her say it. And I was like, oh, it's just, no, she's not. You know, if it had been like, you were both my Philippas. Yeah, it's, <laughs> do you know, you, it's a little bit disrespectful and insulting to, yeah. to the original Giorgio, who presumably actually spent more time with with this michael like we don't see it we come in when when they're already you know together on the ship and you know she's captain and michael's there and yeah so i mean i i don't disagree with her you saying that also that whole sequence was just and i get it like they're drawing it out because this is potentially launching georgia's own show but i was like just walk through already (laughs) (laughs) just go like john get on with it Right. Yeah, I mean, she, she, I kind of flinched when she said that too, because I was like, that's sort of disrespectful to the original Giorgio that you spent presumably more time with, actually. Yeah. 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 Your, so. your mentor, surrogate mom, uh, captain. Uh, yeah. And, and it is, it does sort of get into the, this weird mental space that, you know, Michael probably still blames herself for original Philippa's death but you death. Can't just substitute the new one yeah you know you gotta you gotta be honest with yourself and be real and be like yes no i had a great relationship with that philippa i have a great relationship with this philippa but they are two different different people, people right yeah, yeah i agree with you enough. um well i i unfortunately uh with that alan um we're gonna have to say goodbye here because we have come up on that magic hour and we have to wrap up the show. But I do appreciate your comments. I do appreciate oh, sure. you calling in. And um, happy holidays to you. And, Thank uh, you, guys. Um, enjoy. Just uh, two seconds. I will say I love the root beer talk earlier, uh, the, the bringing up that. <laughs> um, root beer, kind of a licorice drink. Um, True enough. But Interestingly <laughs> enough, I don't like root beer. Well, there you go. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the one thing that, that's always stuck out of me from that scene is not even so much the root beer as an, as a metaphor, but the end, because it's a scene with our resident thief and our resident liar. Right. At the very end, they're, they're talking it through and the thief asks the liar, do you think they can save us? And the liar says, I hope they can. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Well put. And uh, thank you for that observation because you're right. And um, I love coming back to the root beer analogy because that's the, that's, I think it's one of the funniest things and probably one of the truer things about the Federation that they wrote on Deep Space Nine. Um, but thanks, Alan, for calling in. Happy holidays to you. Please stay safe. Uh, enjoy yourself. And we'll talk to you again uh, on the next Mission Log Live. Wow. As we always say, Holly, what a fast hour that was. It was a fast hour. I, I want to give one um, fun fact. This is my Holly fact of the evening. All right. We see, we see Risa in this episode, and Risa, for some reason, in the Mirror Universe, has rings. Doesn't have rings anywhere else. Not in oh, the wow. Prime yeah. Universe. No, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I found that interesting. I was like, they pulled up, and I was like, why does it have rings? That must be exclusive to the Mirror Universe. I wonder why. Hmm. It's my fun fact for the evening. I like the, the chin scratching, too. Very effective. <laughs> mm-hmm. So thanks, Holly, for uh, another fantastic show. I always love broadcasting with you. You're so much fun and so much energy and so much knowledge. And um, 
I pretty much lean on you when I, when I'm on the show. So thank you for doing that. And uh, I can't wait to do this with you again soon, but, um, just a small little disclaimer here before we uh, do uh, get into the credits here. This is, this will be my last live show for the year. And I just wanted to take a moment to wish everyone here a very happy holiday season. I'll be back in 2021. I'm glad to say 2021. You have no idea. And I'm pretty sure everyone else is too, but I'll be back in 2021 for my second year with Mission Log and the Roddenberry Podcast Network. So I want to thank everybody here um, for all of your support throughout this year. And I look forward to seeing you all when I get back to Mission Log Live in January. Um, So until then, please be safe. Please enjoy your holidays responsibly. John and Holly will be back next week. So I'm sure they look forward to talking with all of you for the next episode of Star Trek Discovery. So until then... Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry, technical production on Mission Log Live by the, I don't even know what this means, Inviolate Earl Green. I didn't write it. John wrote it. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission logs and pins accessories by cufflinksinc.com and thank you to eagle moss also for your sponsorship and support holly i want to wish you the happiest safest and most excellent of holiday seasons you uh, too. i really thank enjoyed you doing much. these shows with you thank you i look forward to doing to doing more things with you in the future absolutely so do i and uh, so be safe enjoy your holidays and uh, we will see you in the new year thank you earl for all that you do and everyone We'll see you again next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.